Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have a long, long-term friend. And uh, we don't see each other nearly enough these days. She lives in the hill country of Texas. And this friend of mine taught me some important things along the way. Every year uh, when I was busy trying to find where I was going to have my New Year's Eve party, she was preparing for the new year. And she would um, spend New Year's Eve alone. And she would spend that day and into the night and into the new day um, planning for the coming year, remembering, reflecting, dreaming, praying, journaling, meditating, and setting goals for herself for the year ahead. I was always so deeply moved by that intentional practice. Now, perhaps you're wondering why I'm talking about New Year's Eve today. Well, it probably doesn't occur to most people that today's gospel reading concludes our year-long pilgrimage through the gospel according to Mark. In fact, next week we will really mark the end of the Christian year with a Sunday that we call the Reign of Christ. And that we also will give a nod to our uniquely American holiday called Thanksgiving. The following Sunday will mark the new year in the church. We will begin a year-long journey with the Gospel of Luke. And we'll take some detours along the way, but for the most part, we will enter into this season of going through the Gospel of Luke. And, and that first Sunday, the last Sunday of November, begins the season that we call Advent, that 40-day period in which we anticipate the birth of Jesus. It's a fascinating and marvelous time. And so, um, it, seems, it makes sense to me that as we draw near to this end of the church year, we as Christians, we who practice following in the way of Jesus, that we um, would hear stories about endings. We would, all, we would hear the stories about the end of this season, this year. So we can think of today as the church's New Year, New Year's Eve. It's a time for remembering and reflecting, dreaming and praying. It is a time when we look back over the last year as individuals, but also as the church, the body of Christ. We look back and look at the year 
that we have just been through and the year that is coming. And, and, and we can ask ourselves things like, how did I reflect the love of God this year? How did I offer the compassion of Jesus to others? How did I attune myself to the presence of the Holy Spirit? And as we, New Church, Chiesa Nuova, United Church of Christ, mark our eighth anniversary, we should do this as a faith community as well. We should be talking about how did we do, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst when we shut down uh, public worship for months and months, even in the midst of this year as we now come to a time in which we are a split congregation, some of us in present, some of us online, how did we do? How did we reflect the love of God? How did we attune ourselves to the compassion of Jesus? How did we pay attention to the presence of God's Spirit? We are, in short, in a liminal space. You know, that word liminal means threshold. We are standing at the end of a church year, but we've got our foot up, but we haven't yet set it down in the beginning of the new year, and, and we won't. We won't next Sunday. We will set our foot down the following Sunday as we enter into the season of Advent. And so what better time to talk about endings and beginnings as we stand here? We can look back and see what is behind us. We can look forward and anticipate what is before us. The Gospel of Mark, you need to know, was written in a terribly dark time for the people of Israel. It was written during the disastrous, completely disastrous, Jewish revolt against the Roman Empire and their occupation of Palestine. The Roman armies vanquished the rebellion and destroyed the Jewish temple. We don't, as Protestants, really have a comparison for that. As Catholics, we might say they destroyed the Vatican. Maybe what we would say here in the United States is that our national cathedral had been destroyed. It was so utterly devastating. I mean, devastating in the sense that we kind of now remember uh, the destructions of September 11. Consequently, the message of Mark's gospel, interestingly enough, is a message of hope. But it's a message of hope proclaimed in the darkest days of the Jewish people, in the midst of catastrophe. Mark's gospel stands as a word of grace in the midst of violence and ruin. And to really hear it, we must listen from a position of desolation and chaos and bewilderment. We must listen alongside traumatized soldiers the displaced refugees, the pregnant teenagers, the addicts of a heartbroken family, the activists discouraged by the fact that their team is losing something that shouldn't be too difficult for us to do today. 
after all we've been through. This is where the faithful people of Mark's day lived and are the depths from which Mark proclaims God's good news across time and space to us today. This passage is Jesus' final teaching to the disciples in the Gospel of Mark before the passion overtakes him and in that sense is a kind of farewell discourse, not the length of the discourse in John's Gospel, but certainly is a farewell to these who have followed him so faithfully. The temple, he says, will be destroyed and desecrated. It will be a time of great suffering. Moreover, Jesus tells them that people will come and lead them astray and cautions them that there will be wars and rumors of wars, and yet the end is still yet to come. That must have made them quake with fear. If all of this is happening right now, how can it be that the end is not yet here? But Jesus calls these the birth pangs. This is such a far cry from what he has taught in the Gospel of Mark up to this point. Surely the disciples wondered what this must mean for Israel. Of course, we, all of us, we know this. We know this and more. These are the challenges facing us today, aren't they? I mean, the sorrows of the past two years have been almost unbearable, and we find ourselves still struggling just to keep up, just to keep depression at bay. <coughs> Many people have spent the last year reassessing their lives, their vocations, their futures. Countless people have left their jobs. Children are struggling to learn. And we continue to wonder, when will it be over? And we continue to hear that it may never fully be over in our lifetimes. Moreover, there are wars and rumors of wars. Watch the news. There are immigrants, there are immigrants freezing to death on the border of Belarus and Poland. People are acting out with violence and hate. Yet again, somebody else uh, assaulted a, a flight attendant. And, and, and we are watching with horror the Rittenhouse and Aubrey trials. And our churches, for the most part, have remained empty, regardless of our efforts to beg people to come. And pastors are leaving churches at a record rate. They're not just leaving their churches, they're leaving the ministry. And some of them have chosen to leave by suicide. We join the psalmist singing, How long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face from us? But here's the thing. When the death-dealing forces seem to have had the upper hand, one ancient response was to envision a new future, a future in which God turns God's face to us and directly comes into our midst in spectacular fashion. That's an ancient way. You know, they were always doing, God was always doing spectacular things in the scriptures. But it is a model for how we might, we might deal with all that we're facing. 
They, they envisioned that God would be righting wrongs and routing wrongdoers and thereby inaugurating a new era of justice and compassion. In that future, God pulls aside the veil, revealing to God's people what was a hidden, dramatic rescue that is on its way. In essence, this is an extravagant, evocative vision of hope when all hope seems lost. You know, as progressive Christians, we tend not to focus on the, the spectacular things of God, right? We focus on how God has called us to be in this together. We focus on how God calls us to be with God in the reclaiming of the climate. How God calls us to be with God and do with God in caring for the poor. This is how we tend to envision it. But sometimes God does spectacular things. You know? I just heard a report on the news that um, veterans who are coming out of wars and it's been horrible and they have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and they can't sleep and they're being violent toward themselves and toward others and they have nightmares you know um, they did an interview with a, a, a scientific researcher and she said the interviewer said well what do we do for them and um, she said well, the typical strategy has been to offer psychotherapy, to teach them how to cope with this. And then she went on and said, but there's a new research now. And it's this. It's that now, through her work and the work of many, many others, they have discovered that there is a drug You may know these letters. I don't even know what it stands for. M-D-M-A. It's the drug ecstasy. Some of you know this. <laughs> and what they are finding is that this psychedelic drug allows the veterans to enter into a time of the ability to revisit what has happened and get down to the core of what has happened in their lives. And that is healing them, literally healing them and giving them hope. And not only that, this researcher believes that it will be a major breakthrough. In fact, the FDA has already claimed it as a major breakthrough for people dealing with severe depression. This is how God works. You know, this is a spectacular thing. Do you realize how many lives will be saved by this strategy and this discovery? It is an amazing thing. It is an extraordinary thing. So I want to tell you something. I believe God's in that all over the place. I believe God's fingerprints are all over that. But I want you also to know something else. The Black Death in the Middle Ages 
actually led to better conditions for the poor. The yellow fever epidemic during the 1700s inspired our new country's leadership to commit to improved public health. In 1918, the flu pandemic improved patient care and led to the development of a flu vaccine that we all take today without a second thought. In 1896, at the corner of Bryan and Hall Street in Dallas, Texas, a small cottage opened as a san sanatorium. That was a name for hospitals during that time. And it was open to serve uh, the public in Dallas. By the time the 18, 1918 flu pandemic began, that cottage sanatorium had been moved to a main building that had 110 beds and was served by the Catholic nurses from the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul. The sanatorium was quickly overwhelmed, and many of the nurses treating the patients caught the flu, and their illnesses and deaths caused a nursing shortage, but volunteers in the Dallas community um, came and served the ill and dying public. That sanatorium became a hospital called St. Paul's that eventually merged with the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. And that medical center serves hundreds of thousands of people every year and has been major in the research dealing with our current pandemic called COVID-19. That small cottage became that medical center. So what exactly is the good news for us today? In short, it's that in our endings, there are beginnings. And this is the true and best story of our faith, that we are born, that we live, that we die, that we live again. This is the single most central story of our faith. And this is lived out time after time after time in the work of God in the world and in the work of God through us. In short, God is here, and even now, a new era is dawning. This is what Jesus was preaching about. Though the obstacles may appear as indomitable in truth, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The hungry shall be fed, and the mighty shall fall. For the love of God is about justice and turning the world upside down. In truth, our God, our God of grace, will rescue and restore and rebuild. And indeed, from this view, from this vision, even our struggles today can be reframed in the light of what is to come. In the end is a beginning. And that is why Jesus says, this is the birth pangs. And anybody who is a mother knows that in that difficult journey comes a beginning. Now is the time, friends, as we stand on the threshold of this liminal space to remember, to reflect, dream, pray, journal, meditate, and to set our goals for all that is ahead, knowing that the God of all grace, the Christ of all our redeeming, the Holy Spirit who will guide us is here now working in ways we cannot see or even imagine to restore us 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Amen.